Well, hey, good morning and welcome to Sojourn. It's good to see you guys on uh, this long weekend. Thanks for coming and gathering with us. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here and uh, just good to be able to, to worship with you this morning, uh, just to sing together, to have God's Word read over us. And now we're going to open up to God's Word to have the preaching of the Word. And it's just an encouraging time, I hope, for us just to sit under God's Word, allow His Word to speak into uh, our hearts and lives this morning. If you need a copy of the Bible, would you just raise your hand? We've got a uh, Matt, actually. I was going to say we have a few people. Matt is going to bring a Bible around to you, so you can just keep your hand up if you need one this morning. I want you to read along with us this morning, and uh, if you don't actually own a copy of the Scriptures, please feel free to take that with you. It's our gift to you. We believe God's Word is important for your life and want you to have that so you can read it throughout the week. Every week, uh, we just begin our time uh, in prayer, just going to the Lord before we open up His Word. So would you pray with me this morning? Father, we come uh, together before you, and our prayer is simple this morning. We pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, through your living and active word, that you would illuminate your truth for us today. We pray that you would drive it deep into our hearts this morning and that because we are listening to your word, that our lives may be changed and that you would be glorified. And so, Father, I pray that you would make us, as we sit here this morning, you would make us lovers of truth. And so we know that we need your help because as people who have sin in our life, who oftentimes desire to be uh, the rulers of our own lives, we run away from truth. And so I pray this morning that you'd compel us by the power of your Spirit, not our own self-will or self-effort, but by the Spirit working in us, that we'd be lovers of truth that would seek to go out into our world and be proclaimers of that truth. So Lord, would you work in this time this morning, and may you be honored by it. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. You know, in life, uh, and at various, various stages in life, there's a, there's a lot of ways for us to, to either make a commitment or a promise to someone to say that we're actually going to do what we said we were going to do. So when you're a kid, what's, what is the way that you do that when you're a kid? Right? Put out the pinky, little hook it up, little pinky swear, right? If you do that, you know that your friend is going to keep that secret or they're going to do what they said that they were going to do. Or maybe you said something like, I cross my heart and hope to die, that I'll actually fill out or fulfill what I said I was going to do. Now, when you're an adult, hopefully you still don't do those kinds of things uh, when you're making a promise or a commitment to someone. But there's lots of other ways that we do that as adults. You might uh, shake on it. You might sign a pact. You can swear on the Bible. You can swear on your mother's grave. You can swear on your life and you can swear to God that you will do something. So what are you doing when you're doing those things? Why, why do we say those kinds of things? Why even as kids do we seek to, to make a promise in that way? Well, we're trying to add something to our word. We're trying to say, okay, because I said this, because I swore on this, because I promised in this way, you can know that I'm actually going to do what I said I was going to do, or I'm actually believing what I say I'm saying to you in that given moment. We're trying to add something to give validity to the promise we're making. In the text we're going to look at today, Jesus specifically references and presses in on the area of making promises and commitments. The the promises and commitments we make to others. But it's not just about that. The the far more reaching principle, the thing that Jesus is going to hit on for us, is just the, the whole idea of being truth tellers. Being people who tell the truth in all situations. Now this is a challenging text for us because we live in a deceptive world. A world sometimes that prides itself on the ability to deceive, whether that's for personal gain or political gain. We live in a world where sometimes it's even unclear of what's considered to be deception and what's considered to be truth. The water is so muddied, we're not even always sure if we're telling the truth or we're not telling the truth at a given point in time. 
And so we, we have to press in on this and see what Jesus is saying to us in this. Because as we've been walking through this series, we see that in Jesus' inverted kingdom that things are upside down. They're not the way the world lives. We, we do things the opposite of the way the world lives and we're seeking to follow Jesus. And he's called us to live in light of be, Jesus being king as we come close to him as king. And so we need to listen to his words this morning. And so my hope is, is that God will use this time in his word, looking at the teaching of Jesus, to see the deception of deception. To see the deception of deception, and at the very same time to see the redemption that's possible for all of us in our world, in our community, in this church, in our own lives as individuals. So may God bless the preaching of his word this morning. If you have your Bible, you can go ahead and flip open to Matthew chapter 5. That's where we're going to be. Matthew chapter 5. We've been walking through this series for the last three months or so, looking at Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's what's often referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is teaching and preaching on his kingdom. The king has come and he's seeking to help us understand what life looks like when we come close to the king, when we're following after him. And so today this brings us to verses 33 through 37. So listen to Jesus' words to you this morning. Jesus says to us, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Now Jesus has called his disciples close. He's called them close to listen to his word, to to see what he's saying here. And something we need to continue to remember as we walk throughout this series, as we seek to kind of listen to what Jesus is saying, as we seek ourselves to come close to him, is that when Jesus is king, everything changes. You, You can't come close to the king of kings and your life remain the same. So he's already pressed on so many areas and aspects of our own lives. As I've said throughout this series, this has been personally challenging for me to to allow God's word to speak into my own life, just pressing on different things in my own heart and my own life. And I hope the same is true for you as well. Because again, this morning he presses on another critical area, a matter of our heart, our own integrity. So I invite you this morning to come close and listen to the king. We're going to break this sermon down into two points. Deceivers deceived and deceivers redeemed. Deceivers deceived and deceivers redeemed. So we talk about being deceivers deceived. This is in verses 33 through 36. See, something we need to understand here is that integrity was important to the religious teachers and the law experts of Jesus' day. This is not them seeking to to jettison truth. They, They appreciate integrity. They believe that integrity is an important thing that a person should have. But as we've said throughout this whole series, what they cared most about was their outward performance believing that if they looked and appeared to be and doing the right things, then that earned them position with God. If they looked to be holy, if they looked to be obeying God, then they would be good with him. They could earn that right standing with him because they believed that their performance was what gave them the ability to do that. They could be known by God. They could be close to him, be with him now and forever. But at the very same time, they recognized the enormity of the law of God. That God's law in all its fullness is impossible for someone to keep. And so what they sought to do is to create essentially sub-laws. Things that they could explain. Things in boxes that they could check. 
parameters that they could put around their lives and say, look, I'm, I'm fulfilling and obeying the law. They sought to interpret it a certain way, explain it a certain way that made it more doable for them. And they cataloged all these things, all these additional rules, all these additional laws of how to understand the law, to live it out in, in a book called the Mishnah to explain how to apply this. And so they would address things like oaths and promises in the Mishnah, in this catalog of, of sub-laws. They would say, well, okay, when you're keeping an oath, this is how you have to do it. If you're going to do it in the way that's going to be honoring to the Lord, this is how you have to do it. And they started to make all these additional rules and laws in this. So why does Jesus think this is important then? He has this whole sermon on the kingdom of God. Why does he focus in on this? He could have talked about anything, but why does he pick this? Because this is a matter of our character. It's a matter of our integrity. It's a matter of our relationships with other people. And in Jesus' kingdom, life should be lived differently than the way that the world operates. See, again, we have to remember that this is in the context of all that Jesus has been teaching. Everything regarding his kingdom and the new life of his kingdom people. So we looked over the last few weeks as he talked about lust and he talked about divorce and how we treat women. And we looked at that over the last couple of weeks. So when we look at this, this is not disconnected from that. It's not, it's not just by happenstance that Jesus just talked about marriage and divorce and now he's talking about keeping oaths and promises. Those things are connected together. Because see, when you get married, you're making a covenant commitment to another person. You're standing before God and you're standing before other people and you're promising future love. As Pastor Tim Keller says in his book on marriage, you're not promising your current love. Everybody already knows you love each other. You're getting up in front of these people and you're promising and making a future commitment of what you're going to do. And so when you stand up there and you get married, it's a statement of your character. It's a statement of your commitment. It's a statement of your dependence on the Lord. It's something, again, you do before God and you do before other people. But something we have to, critical we have to see here is the problem, though, is not just in taking an oath or making a vow in particular. Now, some people have interpreted that this way. They've said, oh, Jesus says not to do this, so nowhere in my life should I seek to, to make a promise in this way. And so they would say things like, if you go into a court of law and they ask you to swear that you're going to tell the truth, you, you need to refuse to do that because Jesus says not to. Now, you should just get up there and tell the truth is their point, not that you should lie, right? But you don't need to take an oath in order to do that. But is that really what Jesus is getting at here? Because if we just do that, we're just looking on the outward. We're just looking on the outward appearance of our behavior. This is not a matter of our behavior. It's a matter of our heart. See, we can look through the Old Testament. We look through the New Testament and see that oaths and vows and promises were made. They weren't said to be wrong. There's a use and mention of swearing by the name of the Lord throughout the Scriptures. Paul invokes God as his witness on a few occasions. Even God himself in the book of Hebrews swears by himself in making a promise of redemption for his people. So it can't be that Jesus just has a taste aversion to oaths and commitments and promises and vows, so he just outright rejects them. I don't like them, don't do them. That, that can't be it. There has to be something deeper going on here. See, the law experts, in an effort to be able to keep the law, created a system specifically related to oaths and promises that essentially allowed someone to keep a promise or break a promise based on the weightiness of what they swore by. So for instance, if you said, I will do this particular thing, I will do this particular thing for you, and I swear as long as God lives, that would, that would be a serious promise to make. It, it must be kept because you invoked the name of God. You invoked God himself. But if you said, 
I will do this particular thing for you, and I swear by, as long as Jerusalem stands, or as long as the temple in Jerusalem still stands, that I'll do it. It wasn't as serious. You could get out of it because you didn't invoke the name of God in that. So they created this kind of sliding scale of what you needed to do to be able to keep a promise. But it wasn't a system that promoted truthfulness. What it did is it allowed for there to be deception and lying, going back on what you said you would do. People could swear or make an oath by something lesser with the outright intention of not keeping that promise. They could swear or make an oath, and maybe they just knew the possibility that if they needed to, they could get out of the promise. It was a loophole. It was something in their contract, essentially, that said, hey, I don't don't have to actually do this if I don't want to. In essence, it was was the adult way of finger-crossing, right? You know when you're a kid, you're like, you you cross your fingers, you put them behind your back, like, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. Up. Fingers are crossed, right? Like, I don't actually have to do that. If I want to get out of it, I can. These are what these law experts were doing. They were essentially crossing their fingers, saying, if I don't actually want to follow through with this, I don't have to, because I didn't swear by God or his name. Therefore, I can get out of it. But Jesus says all oaths and promises are oaths and promises related to God, and so all of them hold the same weight. If you swear by heaven, it's the throne of God. If you swear by earth, it's the footstool of God. If you swear by Jerusalem, it's the city of the great king. The king of kings, it's the city of God. If you swear by your head, you're acting like God. You can't control the outcome of the color of the hair on your head. It's out of your control. Only God has that ability. So Jesus says, don't take an oath at all if that's your intention. If your intention is to try to get out of it, to wiggle your way around it, then don't do it. See, too often we take Jesus' words here forgetting they are Jesus' words about his kingdom. So this isn't about taking an oath in court to tell the truth. It isn't about outward behavior or actions or getting your words right. This can't just be for us. We look and say, okay, I get it. Jesus is telling me not to do something. I'm not going to do it. Let's move on. No, he's talking about your character as a person. Your character is a part of Jesus' kingdom people. That you will tell the truth, whether it's an oath in court or a contract you sign with your name, or just a commitment you make to your spouse or your friend. And the reason you're going to do that is because Jesus is king. Jesus is getting to the heart. Because your character and your integrity flows out of your heart. Scripture says that out of the, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when you say you're going to do something, it's from your heart that you're speaking that. That's where it comes from. See, no one makes you a liar. No one makes you a deceiver. No one makes you a finagler. No one makes you a cheat. No one makes you a swindler or a schemer. No one makes you a trickster or a manipulator. That's already within you. It's already within you. And Jesus says in verse 37 that if you go beyond simply saying yes or no, then that comes from an evil place. And I think this is where a lot of us get into trouble. If I say getting hitched, tying the knot, taking the plunge, saying I do, what am I talking about? Getting married, right? Uh, Everybody knows those are phrases referring to getting married. All of those mean the same thing. And so if you get married in front of a thousand people or five people, you're still married. It doesn't mean something different if you call it something different. The end result is the same. See, so often I think what happens, especially in the culture that we live in, is that we miss the point on this and we mislabel things just like the law experts did. We categorize our truth-telling to uphold some semblance of integrity and to make ourselves feel better. And so we put deception on a sliding scale of seriousness. If it's over here, it's not that big of a deal. If it's here, a little more serious. Oh, if it's over here, outright lie, that's wrong. 
So we call it things like little white lies, half-truths, a fib, exaggeration, overstatement, half the story, misinformation, excuse-making. All of those are labels for the same thing. We may not swear by certain things, but we can still lack integrity and truthfulness in life. And this is the deception of deception. The belief that some acts of deception are okay, while others aren't. And all of us have elements of a deceiver in us. All of us do. And the reason for that is because we're all self-protectors. We're all self-preservers. We're all self-promoters. We care about our, our reputation. We care about uh, what people think of us. And so we, we protect ourselves. We're guarded against people. We don't want to let people in. Let them really know what's really going on in our lives and our hearts. We're, self, we're self-preservers as well. We want to, need to preserve our reputation. Make sure that people know that we know what we're talking about. We know what we're doing. We have it together. So we seek to preserve our image and our reputation. We're, we're self-promoters. We live for our glory. We want people to know that we're awesome and believe that we're awesome and to give us accolades for that. And so when we believe those things, when we become self-protectors and self-preservers and self-promoters, what we tend to do in order to do those things is we deceive. We tell half-truths. We tell little white lies. We exaggerate How many of us exaggerate in our life or overstate things in our lives in order to please other people or help make other people be pleased with us? And I say all these things because I've done all these things. I'm not accusing you this morning. This is is for me as well. This is challenging for me in my own life as I seek to please other people. And when I recognize that I'm seeking to please other people instead of please God, when I want other people to think well of me, How often can I do these things that on a sliding scale of deception may not seem like that big of a deal? They're not an outright lie, but how often do I state things in such a way as to make myself look better than I actually am? See, we come by it honestly because all of us come from a long line of deceivers. Because all of us have been deceived by the deceiver. In John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus talking to these religious leaders, these Pharisees, addresses the root and the source of this in the enemy. He says to them, you are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. See, at the very beginning as Satan came to Eve in the garden, He started to deceive from the get-go. He came and appeared as a serpent. He didn't let her know his true identity. And then he asked a question, did God really say? Did God really say? He starts to inject deception. He starts to twist truths. And you notice he doesn't, if we go back to Genesis 3, he doesn't outright just totally reject everything that God says. He takes part of what God says, and then he adds to it. It's a half-truth. And if there's a half-truth there, it's not the full truth. It's not God's truth. And so he injects deception into the life of God's people. He brought, and that brought about separation. It brought about brokenness. It brought about death as they took that deception and it made them liars as well. See, all of us have been deceived by the deceiver to believe that deception is not actually deception. And that's the world we find ourselves in. See, it isn't so much that we're all made deceivers. We're born that way. We're born deceivers, set on preserving ourselves and our image over against truth the truth of who we really are, and the truth of who God is. And then what that's done is in our world, it's created just this, this difficulty to actually be able to trust people, 
whether it's in the workplace or in our community or in this church or in your family, it, it creates a, a, just a difficult place for us to actually trust people. And so we feel the need to attach something to what we say in order to try and convince someone that they can believe what we say. They can believe what we say or believe that we'll actually do what we committed to do. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, again, on his, on his treatise on discipleship, says about this in particular, oaths are a sign that we live in a world of lies. Oaths arise because men are so often liars. See, Jesus' point to the law experts, and more importantly to his kingdom people and to you and to me this morning, is that all of our speech and all of our actions always take place in the presence of God. So we can, we can put ourselves out there a certain way, we can act a certain way, we can do certain things, recognizing, oh, nobody else is really going to know what's going on. But Jesus' point is, no, you do this before God, and you do this in the name of God. He knows our hearts. But friends, let's remember why Jesus came. He came to bring redemption. He came to bring restoration. And he came to make you new. Which leads to our second point this morning. Deceivers redeemed. See, Jesus is not unveiling some new moral commands here. The things he says are not disconnected from who he is. And and I really want to make sure we get this this morning. Like I said last week, we can take some of the text of this, and because we have these nice little headings in here that say oaths and divorce and lust and salt and light and all these things, we can kind of rip them from the pages and disconnect them from the bigger picture that it's Jesus saying these things to you. We can't disconnect them from the whole body of what he's talking about, and we can't disconnect them from him himself. And so if you walk out of here this morning and all you get today is, okay, I'm supposed to say yes and no and nothing else, no O's, that's it, I'm good to go, I'm going to do that this week, then we've missed the point because we've disconnected it from Jesus. See, Jesus has come not to bring a new list of moral rules and laws for us to come. He's come to bring a whole new way of living, a whole new way of being human that's only possible by the one who is your yes. See, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul, the Apostle Paul, talks about this. Listen to these words this morning from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 17 through 20. Paul says, was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? He's talking to the Corinthians saying, was I, was I kind of back and forth? Was I, when I was going to come to you, I said I was going to come to you and I haven't come yet, so am I just kind of wishy-washy here? He says, do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? being deceptive. This is what Paul says, as surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That's why it's through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. The word amen means truly or true or yes. So we say amen to something, you're saying, yes, I believe that to be true. So we can say amen to God's glory because all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. What an amazing picture, amazing news for us, amazing truth for us this morning. The promises of God do not rise and fall on your ability to maintain them or keep them. They don't rise and fall on your ability to to earn something from God, to prove yourself to God, to be a self-promoter. You don't need to go to God to advance your agenda, to say, God, pick me to be in your family. Look at all the things I've done. You don't need to be a self-preserver. You don't need to be a self-protector because all the promises of God find their yes, not in you, not in the people you know, 
not in your abilities or your circumstances. All the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. It allows us to be free. Jesus is our yes. Because Jesus is our yes, because all the promises find their yes in Jesus, that means we can know that when Jesus went to the cross, he bore the punishment and the weight of all of your lying and all of your deception in every part of your life. Jesus came to redeem that of you, in you, to change you, to transform you, to make you a truth lover and a truth teller. But now Jesus invites you to follow him, to follow him, to set you free from all of your deception, the need to deceive, the need to make yourself look good. And Jesus gives grace upon grace in this. He gives redemption in all of your lying and all of your lack of integrity. See, oaths were established because we live in a dishonest world. We can't trust people. But in Jesus' kingdom, honesty and truthfulness reign, so there's no need for you to keep an oath, I mean, to, te- to make an oath, because you'll keep it no matter what, because Jesus has so transformed your heart and life, your identity rests in him. Dietrich Bonhoeffer again speaks well to this. He says, The command of complete truthfulness is only another way of expressing the total claim of discipleship. Only those who are bound to Jesus in discipleship and following Jesus, only those who are bound to Jesus in discipleship stand in complete truthfulness. They have nothing to conceal from their Lord. They live unveiled before him. Jesus knows everything about you. He went to the cross to die for your sin. You don't have to pretend in front of Jesus. He knows the weight of your wickedness. He knows the weight of the darkness in your life. You live all and completely exposed before him. And so we can live that way, live truthful before him. And then Bonhoeffer goes on to say this, Jesus knows them. He knows his disciples and places them into the truth. The truthfulness of the disciples has its sole basis in following Jesus, in which he reveals our sins to us on the cross. Only the cross of God's truth about us makes us truthful. Those who know the cross no longer shy away from the truth. Those who live under the cross can do without the oath as a commandment, establishing truthfulness, for they exist in the perfect truth of God. And I love this. He's saying the only way for you to be a truth teller, the only way for you to consistently walk in integrity is to come close to the one who is the way and the truth and the life. To come close to Jesus. So sojourn this morning, let the shadow of the glorious cross cast itself over you. And as the light of the gospel exposes the darkness of your heart and life, don't run from it. Don't retreat back into the shadows. Don't retreat back into darkness. Don't retreat back into deception. Embrace the lavish love of God, that God loves you too much to leave you where you are. He loves you too much to leave you where you are, and his promises stand firm and strong over your life because he's faithful and he's good. He will not leave you or forsake you. He knows everything about you and he gives you freedom to walk in his ways. See, when you struggle with truth-telling in your life in any form, thinking about that whole spectrum that we laid out, when you struggle with that in any form in your life, we need to be asking a deeper question of ourselves. Why and what? Why, why am I doing this? What is the need for me? What am I trying to accomplish when I'm not being honest? Is it to be liked, respected, admired, thought well of, not to be ashamed, not to be called out, not to be embarrassed. Friend, listen this morning, your identity is in Jesus if you've come to know him. If you've turned away from your sin, if you've repented and you've placed your faith in Jesus, your identity is in Jesus. 
So rest in that truth. You don't need to prove anything to anyone. Jesus calls us simply to let your yes and your no stand. Or as his brother James says in the book of James, chapter 5, verse 12, But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. So what does it look like for you and me to no longer need to swear by something or to spin the truth in our lives? But what does it look like to be a person so impacted by the coming of the king that we become truth-tellers and not deceivers? Well, let's look at those three things I mentioned before, being self-protectors and self-preservers and self-promoters. See, when you and I come close to the king, when we repent of our lying and embrace our need for a savior, we're no longer self-protectors but trusters. We don't need to guard ourselves anymore. We don't need to keep people at an arm's length so that they don't really know who we really are. We can trust our God and our King who loves us and cares for us. We can trust in the one who lived and died and rose again for us, finding our identity in Him. We're no longer self-preservers, but resters. We can rest in our God and King. We don't need to protect our reputation. We don't need to make sure that people think well of us to preserve that out in the marketplace or in our school or in this community. We don't need to do that. We can rest because we know our identity is secure in Jesus, that our old life has died and a new life has come, and our life is now hidden in him, in Jesus who is full of grace and truth and mercy. Our identity now is being a son or a daughter, so we don't need to preserve our identity. It's already secure in Jesus. We're no longer self-promoters, but we become reflectors. We no longer seek to to live for our own praise and our own glory because we recognize we don't have any. But now we can reflect the glory of God, the one who came to rescue us and redeem us. As we looked at last week, we talked about setting our gaze on Jesus, setting our eyes on Jesus, beholding his glory. In community group this last week, we were talking with uh, in community about as we, as we behold God's glory, as we see the glory of God in Jesus Christ, we then also are able to reflect God's glory. It's the only way we're able to do that. We can't bring up glory within ourselves. It only comes as we set our gaze on Jesus. And as we rest in who Christ is, as we trust in who Christ is, we no longer need to be self-promoters any longer. We can be God-promoters. We can reflect His glory. When we understand this and we come close to the king, we can see this truth reign in our world and in our community and in our lives. I mean, Sojourn, what would happen? What would it look like if we were so committed to telling the truth and to being truthful and at the very same time so committed to extending insane grace to one another when we struggle to walk in integrity? What would it look like? What would our world look like if we sought to live this way? What would this church family look like if we sought to live this way? What would happen in your marriage right now if you sought to be truthful with one another, if you sought to walk in integrity with one another, to let your yes be yes and your no be no? What would happen with your kids right now if you sought to do that and you confess to them when you sin against them or you make a mistake instead of seeking to promote yourself, to preserve yourself, to guard your reputation, even in your own family? What would happen with your roommates, with your other family, your other friends? Bonhoeffer again says, there is no truth towards Jesus without truth toward other people. Lying destroys community. But truth rends false community and founds genuine fellowship. I love that. Truth rends. It tears in half false community and it founds genuine fellowship and we're committed to truth. 
because we recognize at the foot of the cross we've been completely exposed, but at the foot of the cross we've been dearly loved, brought into relationship with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. See, this is why slander and gossiping and lying are so destructive to the church and relationships. Sometimes it's not from intentional lying, but just carelessness of the truth. Maybe we're not seeking to harm someone. If we start to pass information along, feel like if we're in the know, then we'll be better perceived by other people. And in the midst of that, we're being deceptive. We're not being truth tellers and truth lovers. Listen, the best way for you to be a truth teller is to tell the truth. It's not to go around telling someone you're not a liar anymore. Right? I'm not a liar anymore. You can trust me. I'm not a liar anymore. Well, that puts people on, on guard, right? They're like, why do you need to tell me that? But the best way for you to be a truth teller is to tell the truth consistently and faithfully. Your word means something when you're faithful to do what you say, when you mean what you say and say what you mean. When you let your yes be yes and your no, no. And that's only possible because Jesus, your yes, has and is making you new. Jesus is the model for our truth-telling. Everything Jesus said he came to do, he did in its fullness. He came to bring the kingdom of God. He came to bear the weight of your sin on the cross and he rose again from the grave to give you new life. And Jesus says to you even now that he goes to his father's house to prepare a place for you, but he will not leave you as an orphan. He will come again for you. We can trust that Jesus is going to keep his word, that when Jesus says yes, he means it. So he models that for us, but he's also, the, it gives us the ability, he empowers us to do this. He leaves us his Holy Spirit, he gives us his Holy Spirit so that we can live out everything that he's called us to. This is not about pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. It's not about gritting your teeth and going out and being, this week I'm going to be a truth teller. It's about coming to Jesus and saying, God, would you help me? Would you guide me? Would you come into my life? Would you help me to walk this out? So come close to him, rest in him, look to him. Remember that in him all the promises of God find their yes. And as you rest in that truth, you don't have to fear. You don't have to manage your reputation any longer. You don't need to be a self-protector or self-preserver, self-promoter. What might God do if we were a community of truthfulness and trust? What might he do in this church community where everyone's speaking truth to one another? Not in the sense where we're taking our truth hammer and whacking each other over the head. That's not what I'm talking about. There's not, a, there's not permission for you to be a jerk, right? I mean, just to go out and be harsh with people, unloving towards people, saying, bro, I love you. Let me tell you some truth. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to walk side by side with one another, lovingly with one another, graciously with one another, being honest because we know who we are in Christ. It's not a permission to be abrasive with one another, but to so love one another that we can point each other back to Jesus over and over again. And we know that as we come alongside of one another, as we seek to encourage each other, that we don't stand in a place higher than our brothers and sisters. Again, at the foot of the cross, we're all exposed. We all need Jesus. We all need him. See, you and I used to be liars and lovers of self, but the gospel has changed you and me. That's not who you are anymore if you're in Christ. And here's the amazing thing. I believe when we are so committed to radical truthfulness in our lives and in our world, a world that's made up uh, and is so exemplifies deception, 
So in your workplace and in your school, in your community, in your neighborhood, in this church, wherever you happen to find yourself, when we seek to be so committed to radical truthfulness, resting in the reality of Jesus and the gospel and the good news that Christ has made us new, we exemplify integrity, we exemplify reliability, we exemplify trustworthiness in our life. That contrast will be so stark in a world that's dark that we'll be able to actually be the salt and light Jesus calls us to in verses 13 through 16. What will it look like if we're committed to this? So as we close, let me just ask you a question this morning. Where do you need redemption today? Where in your life right now do you need redemption? Where is God calling you to be a truth teller? In your home, at work, in this church? See, Sojourn, we all need Jesus today, whether for the first time or the thousandth time, because all of us still have deception in our hearts and our lives. So will you Along with me, will you call on Jesus today? If you don't know Christ, if you've never trusted in Christ, you can start that today. You can trust in Jesus today, acknowledging the fact that you've cared way more about yourself, your own glory, than you have God's. Ask Him to change your life, to change your heart today, believing that Jesus paid for your sin on the cross. For those of you that do know Christ, the same reality, the same truth is true for you today. Going before the Lord in repentance, confessing that to Him, where you've sought to promote yourself, to preserve yourself, to protect yourself. Confess that to the Lord and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. Ask Him to lead you in His ways. Ask Him to help you to walk in the light. Ask Him to help you to embrace your identity and be who you are. If you're in Christ, if you've trusted in Christ, you are no longer a liar. If you've trusted in Christ, you're a new creation. And to that we can say yes and amen. You can't come close to the king and your life remain the same. So as our first act of saying amen this morning, we're going to come to the table together. We're going to partake in a meal as a reminder. This meal is a reminder of who we used to be, but also of who we are now. That Jesus' body had to be broken for you. That Jesus' blood had to be shed for you in order to cleanse you and make you new. We used to be enemies of God, but now we're his children, sons and daughters. We used to be dead in our sin, but now we're made alive in Christ. We used to be a bunch of isolated individuals, but now we're the family of the redeemed. And so as you eat and drink this morning, may it help you to walk in truth, knowing that Jesus paid for your lying, he paid for your facades and your fakery, he paid for your double-mindedness and your deception. And may this bread and this cup remind you that Jesus' body was broken and his blood was shed to set you free from all of that. As you eat and drink this morning, rejoice in who he is and that he has and he is and he will make you new. May this be your amen this morning, that all of God's promises find their yes in Jesus. And for those of you that don't yet know Christ, we would just ask you not to come forward this morning to take communion. And the reason for that is not because we're trying to be weird and make you feel uncomfortable or weird. Nobody's going nobody's to notice if you stay in your seat or not. People are going to get up at different points in time. We're just asking you, if you're not a follower of Christ, to stay in your seat. Instead of coming and taking bread and taking the cup, we want you to take Jesus today. We want you to experience his, his lavish love and his lavish grace that he extends to you. We would just implore you to, to call on Christ to save you today. Become a Christian today. Ask God to forgive you of your sins because you believe that Jesus paid for your sin on the cross. If you're ready to start a relationship with Jesus today, we'd love to talk with you about that. It's why this church is here. 
We're all on a spiritual journey. It's why sojourn is called sojourn. This is not our home. We're all on a spiritual journey. We want you to journey with Jesus. So would you hang out with us? Would you get to know us and get to know Jesus? We want you to know him. So please come talk to someone. Get into a community group. I'll be down front after the service. We'd love to talk with you or pray with you if you want to talk more about that. And those of you that will come forward, you can come to the front or towards the back. Tear off a small piece of bread and take a cup to drink. And what Jesus has done for you will be spoken over you this morning. And to that say amen, amen. Let's pray together. Father, this morning we come before you and we acknowledge the fact that we have all been liars. Father, I acknowledge this morning to you that I have been a liar. And we've been deceived by the deceiver. We've gossiped, we've slandered, we've sought to promote ourselves, we've sought to promote our own glory, to protect and preserve our own image. Not walked in the truth of who we are, our identity in Jesus. So we confess that to you this morning. I confess that on behalf of my brothers and sisters here this morning and every person in this room. But Lord, I thank you that all your promises find their yes in Jesus. That I don't need to clean myself up, I can't clean myself up, and neither can anyone else in this room that you have promised to change us and transform us through the blood of Jesus shed for us on the cross and the new life he now gives to us through his resurrection. And so this morning, I pray that we would rest in that truth, that we would know we don't need to protect ourselves and guard our reputations, that we can walk in our new identity in Jesus. So help us to do that this week, not for our glory, but for yours. Father, we pray that you'd make us new today. And we pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.